Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast on ProSound Web. My name is Michael Lawrence. I'm the technical editor of Live Sound International and ProSound Web. And we got a full house tonight. I'm joined by the boys. We got Chris Leonard and Kyle Churnside. And we also have Miss Willis Snow. What's going on, everybody? Hey, y'all. What's up? Hello. My name is Kyle Churnside. Hi, Michael. Willis been, uh, Glad to hello. Have I, I was thinking this. Will is sort of like the character from Office Space where like she just won't leave. She's so just going to keep showing up. Hey, you keep inviting me back here, man. I don't know. No, actually, I, the reason that uh, Will is in the wrong group text is what happens. That's why she keeps, <laughs> she keeps finding out that we have episodes of recording because we're texting in the wrong group text. She, she keeps showing up. No, Will has got a really cool story to tell our guest this episode and he doesn't know about that yet so uh that's gonna be cool um so speaking of our guest our guest this episode is my friend andrew stokely and he is a television audio production mixer with over 25 years of experience in remote mobile work he mixes a bunch of sports broadcasts from the mlb nhl nba nfl cfl mls curling a bunch of other acronyms and things that i don't understand because i don't do sports and He's joining us from our friendly upstairs neighbors, so we're going to try to get him to say a boot a whole bunch. Uh, Andrew Stokely, thanks for being here, man. Thanks. Thanks for, yes. I will say about, uh, you know, much like. So, uh, Andrew, uh, let's start with this. I mean, you're just so generous with your knowledge. I mean, I think a lot of people that work in audio sort of don't have a good grasp on the broadcast side of things. Cause it's, it's, you know, for those of us to do the rock and roll stuff, um, it's a totally different world. And you're always on social media going like, Hey, you know, here's what I'm working on. Who's got questions. And you're just constantly trying to share your knowledge and trying to share your techniques. And I love that, man. I think that's the coolest thing. Um, and I emailed you last year and we did an article together about, yeah kind of, you know, it's on ProSound Web, and I think we'll put the we'll put the link to it in the description of this podcast. And we were talking about some of the stuff that, you know, I've done in my experience doing music events and you've done in your experience doing broadcasts and where those things are the same, where those things are different. And um, it was one of my favorite pieces that I've ever gotten to work on. So thank oh, you for doing that with me. Yeah. And and uh, I'll let Willa uh, tell you a little bit about her experience with that with that piece. Yeah, so uh, Andrew, my father is a huge sports guy, specifically with baseball. Um, okay. So yeah, so we're from uh, we're from California, from Northern California. We're all about the San Francisco Giants in my family, uh, except for me. I'm not really a sports person whatsoever. I am a music person. That is what I do. Um, so I'm sure all of all of y'all can relate to this as well. My parents kind of struggle to understand what it is that I do. Um, no matter how many times I've explained it to them, you know, 10 different ways to Sunday and I've like dragged them to gigs and like showed them, you know, this is the console. These are the cables. Here's how this works and whatnot. Um, so, but there was never that connection point until this article came out and I read it and it was so cool to get a peek into your world, Andrew, and, and see what you deal with every day and, you know, how you, mix baseball and hockey and curling and all kinds of really cool interactive things and just these really subtle things like putting mics under the ice to capture the puck or uh on the the wall of the outfield so that when you know they slam into it to grab the baseball uh yeah. you hear that whoomp and like make this really dramatic thing and then you know the crowd noise goes up and this whole incredible really amazing experience so i sent that article to my dad i'm like dad this is in, in, in an essence, this is like what I do. Um, and he read that and he finally, for the first time, kind of understood what, what I do for a living. So thank you so much for giving me that, that beautiful moment of connection with my dad. Oh, that's, that's awesome. You know, um, uh, I'm oh, sorry, I'm getting all emotional all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> no, sorry, I'm I only so say that cause, you. Thank well, you. no, um, cause, uh, my dad sadly passed away in November. Um, oh, and so my dad had a, well, you know, my dad was a huge baseball fan, a huge Jays fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I told him that I was taking over as the head audio guy for the Jays, um, 
I think at that point, he finally realized that, you know, I had kind of hit the pinnacle of my chosen profession, if you will. Um, it was the first time that I was going to be, quote, a head or a lead of any uh, in the broadcast world. And it was the sport and the team that he loved the most. Um, so for him, I think that was the real moment. And he sadly passed away in November and my dad had a perfect sense of timing. I had been on the road for almost 18 days uh, and I came home for a week uh, and uh, he knew, uh, and we, we all knew, um, sadly liver cancer sucks, cancer sucks for everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, so my brother came up from Texas, my sister who lived uh, close to them, we came up for a whole week and we spent a whole week. Um, and then, you know, sadly he, he did pass away and then I had to leave again uh, for another event um, and it really hadn't hit me, uh, until kind of this weekend, I was supposed to leave today to go to Montreal to get ready for the preseason games for the Blue Jays and the St. Louis Cardinals in Montreal. And, uh, we would have a daily conversation on the phone, uh, about baseball after every game. And so, you know what, that's, uh, uh that connection you have with your dad, that, uh, that brings a big smile to my, uh, to my face. And I'm, I'm glad that he finally made that connection to what career you made, um, and finally connected. So that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, makes me very happy. That's amazing. I'm so glad. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's well, you know what it is. It's, I mean, um, sports and, and I'll be the first to admit, I'm not a huge sports fan. Uh, after so long in doing this to me, it's just another gig. Um, hey, but I'm not a big music fan either. Yeah. But it's funny. Like people ask me, who's your favorite team? And I say, whoever wins in regulation, that is my line. Yeah, that's a great line. You know, like catering. Yeah, I don't want I don't want bonus curling. I don't want bonus baseball. I don't want bonus hockey. Like just win in the time that's provided because – I'm usually either a going home because I haven't been home or I'm going to an airport or I'm going to a hotel so I can get up in three hours and go to the airport and go on and do it again. You know, so mm -hmm. again, the whole romantic story of how I'm so emotionally involved with it, I couldn't care less. Like just <laughs> I want to go in and make it sound good. And audio is an emotional connection. We all know that, especially you guys who work in music, emotional connection and music are one and one, they are as symbiotic as, you know, uh, pork and beans as, uh, you know, rum and Coke, whatever you're, it's, it, it is. I'm waiting for the taco analogy, but I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm tracking. Tacos yeah. and tequila. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Just for you, just for you, buddy. <laughs> so, you know, and, and if, and if I can make that connection with how I mix a show, then awesome. That's, then I've done my job. I can go home and be happy. So let's trade spaces for a bit. Like I said, I'm kind of sick of music and it takes me a bit to kind of get back into it and listen to it as an enjoyable thing, especially going to live concerts. And I'm sure a lot of us get that way. So if you and I traded spaces today, dude, I am the biggest St. Louis Cardinals fan in the world because of my grandma, because yeah. of my parents, because of the community. Like, do you think if you went and decided, hey, I'm going to mix music now, would you have that passion that you did when you started? Did you have a passion when you started mixing for baseball? Like, were you a card collector? Were you a, you know, no. and, and hockey, come on, you're from Canada. Like they have reruns of hockey games. Yeah. And hockey it was. Them. Yeah. Um, you know, when I first started, I went to school for radio. That's what I wanted to do. Um, I started working at a radio station here in Toronto, uh, when I was 16, uh, cause I lived a five minute bike ride from their studio. And I, I went to school uh, here in Toronto uh, for radio, and I realized after about a month of my first year that I did not want to be an on-air jock. It just, it it held nothing. I, there was nothing I wanted to do with that. And so I was deciding what to do. And, you know, I, I was doing live music. I was doing DJing. I was doing some post-production work. And I just kind of fell in. When I graduated, I fell into the TV side. Um but there's this long-running uh, TV uh, sports show in Canada. I don't know if you've heard it. It's called Hockey Night in Canada. Um, it's probably the most famous hockey program in 
in the entire world. And um, I got to do my very first show as a TVA. So the, you know, uh, what they call utilities in the US, um, guys who help run cable, set up cable cameras, help do all that. I did that my first one in 1995. And I spent 14 years working on the show, um, working as a TVA and then and then finishing off as an A2, um, which is an assistant uh, to the main mixer. And I did that from 1995 all the way up to almost 2007, 2008. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, you know, I covered Stanley Cup finals and all that. It's, it was, but in terms of the sport, no, I'm not a, I, I, I'm not a diehard fan of any team. Um, but you know what, if uh, there's a couple of bands that I would love to get on the road that I would just, you know, sometimes when I'm listening to music, especially nowadays, um, there's some stuff that I'd love to get back out and do. There's a couple of bands. There's a band out of Canada called Arkells, who are my favorite band right now. Um, I'd love to get on the road with them. It'd be fun. Kind of re- re-energize you. <laughs> Can you take us through a, a typical setup? You know, in terms, I think one of the things that was um, really interesting from a lot of the rock and roll folks' perspective is the sheer number of inputs and outputs that you're dealing with. So can you, I mean, some ballpark numbers, how many microphones are you dealing with on a given game? And, and you know, how many output mixes are you doing at a time? Sure. I think that's really cool. Yeah, like, I mean, um, I can do, let's start, let's start on hockey. Uh, hockey is uh, a pretty basic show. Um, the NHL has guidelines about what we can and can't put on the glass. So a standard hockey setup is 10 PCCs uh, on inside the on inside the glass uh, at the behind each net, behind the red lines, and just outside the blue lines. And then you can add as many mics as you want outside. So typically, I would have the 10 PCCs. I would have a, a mic on each of the handhelds. I would have two sets of crowds on the far and reverse side, as we would call them. Uh, and that kind of just fills in everywhere. That would be what I would need. So that's pretty simple. Uh, and then then you'd have play color spare headset. You would have um, two stick mics in the booth. You would have hallway drops in the visitor hallway, the home hallway. Uh, usually you would have a Zamboni drop with two sticks. You'd have uh, an RF uh, so they could do pregame bench interviews. You'd have a hardwire backup for that. So, you know, probably for hockey, you'd have about 18 microphones, probably 18 to 20 microphones. But for the outputs, um, I could have 30 outputs because I'm outputting to the router. I'm outputting to the intercom. Uh, I'm outputting to uh, external speakers, what we call Woolers, uh, that the production director have other people in the truck have access to. So it, it might be more than that. Um, so, you know, for a typical hockey setup, I probably have between 50 to 60 inputs on the console that I'm inputting into the console so I can gain structure, compress it, EQ it. And then I'm using the router in the console to output to wherever I need it to go to. Um, when I do baseball, baseball is a little different. Baseball, I'm also not only am I outputting to the truck, I'm also outputting to the other truck, and I'm outputting to the venue, and I'm outputting to MLB International. Um, so there's a lot more there. Uh, I have almost 30 microphones that I use on the field. Um, that includes effects mics, camera mics, crowd mics. Uh, I've got uh, four mics in the booth. I've got two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I've got nine announcer microphones that I use for it. So I've almost got 30 to 40 microphones in total that I'm mixing uh, in a show um, for baseball. And then I've even got more. I've probably got almost 80 outputs that I'm outputting, uh, that I'm using the router for in the, in the truck. I'm outputting to intercom speakers and so forth. The big show is curling. And I know everyone laughs. Um, but it's my favorite. As much as I enjoy baseball, as much as I enjoy hockey, basketball, any of the other sports, curling from an audio standpoint is the way to go. Um, I have 136 inputs. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome to curling. So um, I, w- I was still stuck on the part where you mic'd a Zamboni and then you said, <laughs> what the? Yeah. Yeah, Willa, so, you can say it again. Say it. Say what? <laughs> F word. Don't encourage. Don't encourage her to swear on the show. Holy moly! That's I a sh- lot of inputs. Wow. Well, I I shared my patch notes with Michael to to show what the curling is. We have thirty two RF microphones for the players. 
I mix all those myself. Uh, and they come down a Maddie stream into the truck. Um, th- so that's just, that's just the curlers. There's 32 microphones there. I then have 20 ice mics that are buried in the uh, foam barriers along each of the uh, sheets. And there's five sheets. So that's 20 mics. Uh, I then have seven camera mics. I have four sets of stereo crowd mics I use. Um, and then uh, we have four EVS machines. So those inputs are also two in. So they're two, uh, six in, two out. So there's 12 inputs there. Uh, we have four or five different things that make noises. Um, so yeah, so the inputs and then the outputs uh, for curling are even or even greater because, oh, also I have 14 announcer microphones just alone for curling because there's so many poodles that talk. Um, so yeah, it's, and, and, so I'm building, so with curling, it's, it's like golf. Curling is like golf. You, I don't think people realize how much stuff in golf is actually live versus taped in golf. I'd say 80 to 90% of it is actually taped. Um, and then you're playing that back. So in curling, same with ours, right? You have multiple games going on multiple times on multiple sheets. So we're recording, not only am I mixing the main game, which has eight microphones, I'm also submixing the other four games that are going on at the same time for tape so that if we need to play them back for replays, um, we can do that. So I'm building offline auxes that have those announce those have that have those player microphones, but they also have the ice effects mix. They have a crowd mix, um, and you know, making sure that that all sounds good into tape. So when we play it back, it sounds good. You know, the bullshit baffles brains, if you will. So, so this will probably take about four episodes to break all of this down, but we'll we'll <laughs> we'll we'll do our best to uh, break some of this down. So, my my first initial question, and uh, is I imagine this is going to change from sport to sport. So, I don't know which approach you want to go here, but like, so you talk about having like you know PCC mics in the glass and the dashers and hockey. We talk about in baseball having thirty some mics or whatever on the field. Um, can you walk us through? Walk me through? Like, so how are you? You know, how much is that? maybe automatically mix how much of that are you following the movement um what choices do you make on which mics to go to how quickly can you grab each of those faders as as something moves across either the ice or the field so uh, i'm sure it's different from each sport but absolutely yeah yeah Yeah, and it and it is different from each sport because each sport um the pace of the game is either slower or faster for example on hockey the pace of hockey is a lot faster than baseball so with hockey the main those 10 microphones that are on the glass those are the main mics that i'm using now some guys will what we call chase so they will actually chase each individual microphone as the play goes up and down but i don't like that personally i don't like that sound you can actually hear the microphones going in and out i want a natural sound moving between the zones what we call the offense this is the neutral zone and the defensive zone i group my so i vca those microphones and i vca them into three sections the offensive uh, or camera left neutral and camera right if you will and i'll vca those and i will follow along so i never kill each of those sections completely but i'll remove i'll you know i'm i'm constantly mixing those three microphones or those three vcas that are controlling the other 10 microphones so it's it just you're blending it in with baseball i am only tracking microphones that i need to track at that time because there's so much dead space or so much downtime between the pitches that if you just have microphones up, it's going to sound horrible because you just have a cacophony of sound. And especially in the dome, when the dome's closed in Toronto, uh, it's even worse. And, you know, a few years ago when the team wasn't so good and the dome was closed and we only had 7,000 people in there, um, you know, I know I'm sure you guys have to deal with reverb and so forth, but I literally could hear fan noise. Not hmm. not fans. I mean, literal <laughs> fan noise that would come down into because the dome is a giant dish. It acts as a reflective surface, and it not only does the sound go up into the dome, it gets reflected back into thirty thousand empty plastic chairs. And and that and that chases per you watching screens for camera angles and listen to the producer's call to go to the cameras, right? So if, if someone's Correct. yelling from the bench and they go to the bench, you, you gotta grab the bench mic real quick and make sure that the mouth moves with the sound and stuff like that. Correct. In 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 audio for television, audio always leads. If you follow, you're too late. 
So I'm always trying to anticipate, if you will, what the director or what the producer is calling. Traditionally in sports, the director's calling cameras, producers calling tape, and producer usually calls uh, audio. Um, producers usually will call for music, they'll call for announcers and so forth. The director's dealing with other stuff. If if not, then what happens is they will tell you up front, like, okay, I'm the director, uh, I'm gonna call the music. Great. You know, that's all I need to know. I just need to know who's telling me what to do. Um, that way it's established. If you start going back and forth and I don't know who to listen to and, you know, on curling, I could have 15, 16 voices that I'm hearing at once. And that's the big difference too. You know, when I'm training new people and they get into that room and, and it's just a wall of sound because you have announcers, you have curlers, you have whatever, and then you've got producer and director and they don't know who to listen to. And you can tell very quickly if people are going to get it or not. That's the one thing I can't teach. I can teach everybody how to patch. I can teach people how to program intercom. I can teach compression. I can teach EQ, all that, but I cannot teach you what to listen for. And that's, that's where people either get it or they don't. And I'm sure in the live music world, um, you know, it's been so long since I've done it, but I'm sure you guys encounter that where, you know, you've got to be able to pick up frequencies, whether you're getting feedback or whatever. And again, that's out of my expertise, but I'm sure it's all similar. Oh, it's very similar, uh, especially when it comes to musical taste in regards to the song, like what what choices you you make for your effects to the type of music that you're encountering or uh, just the way that you lay out your console, how much for me, it's uh, how much subgrouping am I going to do? How much processing am I going to have? Am I, do I, am I going for a really polished sound or am I going for something that's a little bit more uh, raw um, and, and just making sure you notice when uh, an instrumentalist is taking a solo or when you need to mix the harmonies a certain way and make sure that the balance is maintained? Right. And I know, I'm sorry, Kyle asked me earlier um, about the desk space. Um, for sports, I want as much real estate and as much theater real estate as I can right in front of me. I've got to be able to have access to those microphones right there. Cause if I don't, if I've got to go through pages, then I've already missed it. It's too late. Um, so that's why I tend to like consoles that are, that give me fader real estate. You give me lots of space, give me lots of faders. Cause I cannot be going through or searching through pages, which I know in music is a little different because you can bury some stuff that you're not necessarily needing up front or you're, you know, if you're doing multiple bands and so forth, you can go on, on different pages in broadcast. I can't do that. I, I need to have access to that on the top space, which is why, you know, in North America, Calrec is the leading manufacturer of consoles, um, because they do that. They provide theater space. It's all about real estate. Is, is there ever any um, submixer, so another engineer mixing some stuff down for you in, in tandem? Yeah, some of the shows um, in the U.S., they use submixers a lot, especially on things like NFL, um, just because of the amount of microphones they're using. In Canada, um, the only ones they really use a submixer for are, are, are the, is the Grey Cup, which is the CFL's championship because they have, you know, like 30 or 40 uh, microphones. And there's just so much going on the mixer. Like the main A1, uh, A1 just can't. You can't do it. Um, in curling for the TSN events, so there's three main broadcasters in curling in Canada. You have the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. You have Sportsnet, which cover the slam events. Uh, which is the tour events. And then you have TSN, which cover the Canada curling events, which are the national championships and other events. So you have the Briar, which is the men championships, which then the winner goes on to the worlds. And then you have the Scotties, which is the women championships. For those events, they use a sub mixer. Um, and there's a guy who sits up there and he mixes the other three games that are going on. Um, it's just different philosophies of the network. Um, I am a bit of a control freak, if you will. Uh, I'd rather be in control of my own microphones as opposed to letting somebody else do it. And it's not because I don't like them. It's not because I don't think they would do a good job. It's just, I personally don't like not having control of my own mix. I'm sure you guys can appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
one more uh, one more technical thing in terms of all those little microphones. Um, is there any um, is there any timing that goes into it? Any, any delay compensation? Any of that stuff when you have these mics from all over the arena, all over the stadium? Is there any any bit of timing there? No, the only one sometimes we'll do is uh, sometimes in the crowd mics, depending uh, on the venues. Um, at the Rogers Center, I have three sets of crowds. I have a lower, I have a middle, and I have an upper. Sometimes I will delay a little bit. So I have a a Shure (laughs) VP88 that I hang um, in behind the home plate. Uh, And it gets gets what's called the 100 level uh, audience. It's pretty good. That's the main crowd mic. Then I have a two pairs uh, of uh, AT uh, 2050s that I use in the upper bowl, so the 200 section, and that's um, I leave those in in a in an omni uh, fashion. I leave them out there, and then on the upper level in the 500, I have another set of uh, AT 2050s that I hang down, and they just kind of hang out. I will sometimes play with the timing if you will of the crowd mics um just because there is some delayed response but in all honesty no one at home is no going to know that difference it's so minute i might hear it but it really happens now in terms of effects microphones like if um a baseball is being hit or say like i have three i have three mics that i bury in the outfield wall um there's no timing because it's we're, we're, the distance isn't long enough. It's all within, you know, 2000 feet of copper, if you will. So it's, it's not, um, if it is, it's a millisecond and no one would hear that difference. Um, so I haven't really noticed any timing difference, although I do have a funny story, um, about the Vancouver Olympics in, in Vancouver. Uh, so I was doing curling there and, so the way curling is done in the Olympics, you have four trucks. Each truck covers a sheet. So you have a dedicated crew for sheet A. You have a dedicated uh, crew for sheet B, C, and D. And you provide mixes out of those trucks to uh, OBS for the world. Um, but for the main guys uh, in North America and UK, so in Vancouver, I provided a custom output mix for CTV, which was the Canadian network that was the host broadcaster for that. I did a custom mix for NBC and I did a custom mix for the BBC. And this guy from the NBC, and I can't remember his name, kept coming over every day and going, you know, I'm not, I'm looking at my meters and I'm noticing like a like a, a, a 20 millisecond delay on these crowd mics. And I looked at him and go, Really? do you really think anyone's going to notice a 20 millisecond delay on crowd that we're not even shooting? It's just ambient noise. And my favorite was, and and I'll, uh, you know, so he came over the one day. And so the way curling is, is that you had a main guy and they would provide a, a, we provided a 5.1 mix. And then each of those, um, each of the trucks got the exact same 5.1 crowd mix. So we were all getting the exact same crowd. Um, just to keep perspective and so forth. And Gator, uh, there's only four of us in the world that mix curling. Um, and we're all Canadian. Uh, there's a guy at Edmonton. I, I know, you figure, eh? Um, there's a guy named Gator, and he does all the World Curling Federation stuff. Uh, and then his guy, uh, another friend of mine, his name's Dave. He's out of Calgary. He's the backup guy for Dave. And then you have myself that does all the stuff for CBC and, and, uh, Sportsnet. And then, uh, my mentor and my good friend, Graham, who, uh, has been around in this industry forever. Um, he does all the stuff for TSN. He has taught me everything you know about curling, uh, on, on every other sport. He's just, he's. You know, he's been doing this for 40 plus years and has seen it all. And, you know, I rely on him still. We probably talk weekly um, just about this and so forth. Um, And he does all those events. So there's only four of us um, that do it. And so this guy from NBC came over to Gator one day and he said, listen, um, I'm having some problems with the, uh, with the crowd mic and Gator's like, Oh, okay. What's wrong? He goes, well, yesterday, uh, I heard this guy with a cowbell and he was, he was in the left rear surround microphone. Gator's like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. He says, yeah, but today I'm hearing him in the front left. And, and Gator just paused for a second. He goes, it's probably cause he moved seats. <laughs> And there was a look of, like Gator said, there was a look of that he just, he couldn't grasp that concept. (laughs) You know, when you look at somebody and they look at you and you go, 
okay, I'm processing, but <laughs> that's not the reality that, no. And so he just left. He didn't say anything. He just left. And Gator just, he says, I didn't know what to say. It was just like, the guy just moved, you know? And that was it. We never heard from him ever again. And that was probably in the first two days of the event. Didn't hear from him another nine days. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Andrew, when you go into a truck, um, it, it you know it's really interesting interesting because a lot of a lot of folks in the rock and roll world a lot of them will either specify the desk that they want to use or they carry a desk with them and you're walking into a desk and you've got to just sit down and program that desk and lay it out the way you yeah. like it when you walk yeah. in right I mean that's pretty you talk about that a little bit you got to know all these different consoles and stuff well the great thing about that is that in North America um, if you want a a mobile deal with ESPN, which still is the largest producer of sports in North America. If you want to deal with them, if you want to be able to provide mobile trucks, you are required to have a Calrec audio console. So Calrec is a UK-based uh, company. Uh, they've been around for many, many, many years. Uh, they are pretty much in 95% of the mobiles here in North America. So in saying that, they have six different models. Um, the old style version are different because they were analog digital hybrids and the new ones are completely digital. Um, but the, the one thing I love about Calrec is that they, when they were making their digital consoles, they kept in mind that these are guys who are coming from an analog world and want to be able to function like an analog world with the flexibility of a digital desk. So their digital consoles still look and feel like you're working on an analog desk. And for an old guy like me, it's awesome. Um, Take note, so, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> Easy, know, like, Sonny. Look, <laughs> look at Yamaha, right? Um, it, you know, m- the last analog Yamaha console I worked on was a Yamaha PM4000. Mm. Not even a D, not even a 5, like a 4000. And you go to an O2R whatever, and I hate that little piece of crap. It's just, there's too many freaking menus. Like, I just want to be able to go there, there, there. And, you know, I'm using that dial and I'm fumbling around and so forth. I just want, I don't have time to, to do it. Like, you know, in sports, they want to maximize. We are on what's called a 10 plus one day here in, in Canada. So I'm on a 10-hour plus a one-hour unpaid meal break. So 11-hour day, that's standard here in, in the Canadian market. Um, so if I'm doing a hockey show, uh, if I'm doing a U.S. show, not the home show, if I'm doing a U.S. visitor show, so uh, like yesterday, today's Saturday. So yesterday, I was supposed to do uh, NBA Detroit yesterday. So the game was at 7 o'clock. My call time was at 1. So I'm in at 1. Production wants to be up and ready by 3.30. They want to be able to start doing stuff because they want to get people out to meals. So I've got almost, I've basically got two and a half hours to get the desk built, patched, intercom programmed, faxed to get ready for pre-production. So it doesn't have a lot of time. So I don't want to have to spend all my time farting around, figuring out menus and so forth. So <laughs> luckily now, um, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I, if somebody calls me and says, oh, we need you for something, I great. First thing I always ask, what truck is it? What desk do you have? Because if it's a desk that I don't know or I don't like working on, I just say, thank you very much, but I'm not available. Um, because I don't have a lot of time and, and uh, I, I don't want to spend all of my time farting around. I want to be able to have stuff ready for production. Because the last thing I want to do is to say, sorry, guys, I'm not ready. Sorry, guys, I'm not ready. Sorry, guys, I'm not ready. You know, And then they go, well, why aren't you ready? Well, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, that, that's the last thing they want to hear, right? You know, yeah, I'm not exactly a confidence boosting thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and I don't know what the live music's like, but you know what? I don't want to have to listen to a director and bitch all night long because it gets really tiring having to listen to that all night long. And they will. And, you know, there's six teams I won't work for in the NHL. I just say, nope, I'm sorry. Not 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 worth my time. I'd rather not get paid and stay at home. Mm-hmm. So all, all the um, you had mentioned, like you said, you, know, you hang or or, or the, like the audience mic and stuff like that. So or and then the 
the mics that are on the glass and stuff like that. So how much of that are you daily setting up or or is your team setting up and or how much is that is already pre-installed and you're just kind of taking ports from the venue to, to make all that happen? Sure. It depends if I'm doing the home show or I'm doing the visitor show. So in broadcast, you have what are called side by side. And in Montreal, because uh, La Belle uh, Provence, uh, you also you have a three way. You have French network, you have English network, and then you have the uh, visitor network. So in, in Toronto, if I'm doing a typical side-by-side, um, if I'm doing the home show, the home show provides all the effects mics for the visiting broadcast. That is standard <laughs> del facto no matter where you are. So if I'm in the U.S. doing a Canadian hockey show, I am receiving the effects mics from the visitor truck and whatever they put out. Um, so when I do the J's and so forth, I provide a uh, an effects analog mix, and I also provide an effects Matty fix uh, effects uh, cable for whoever wants it. If they want analog or if they want Matty, it's up to them. I don't I don't care. It's, they can choose whatever they want. Um, so we do that. Um, but yeah, so like on hockey, I'll have two guys. If I'm doing a national show in Toronto, I'll have three A twos who are responsible for basically setting up all the stuff that I want in the venue. And they'll go about doing all that. So every day, um, Toronto is different because we have, there's concerts, there's um, concerts, there's basketball, there's so forth. There's corporate events like the ACC or sorry, the Scotiabank arena is so busy that you never, ever get to leave anything set up. And some of the other venues you do, you can leave stuff out or leave cables in and leave stuff. So it's, it's easier, but in Toronto, that never happens. You're basically setting up and striking every single day, um, which sucks, but it is what it is. Now, baseball is wonderful because once we're in, I'm in, right? You, I could have a nine day homestand or a 10 day homestand over 11 days. And it's wonderful. We set up on the first day and then it just rinse, lather, repeat for the week. And it's awesome. Kind of makes you jealous, you know. We the touring thing, we got to build every show every day and take it out. <laughs> so it's nice. <laughs> and I and I I must imagine from you guys from that standpoint, is it easier now in the digital world than it was in the analog world because you're not dealing with racks and racks and cases and cases of oh yeah of EQ and effects and compressors and oh, stuff, yeah. right? We'll, we'll, let dad, PA, we'll let dad speak for that. Yeah, and the PA got smaller too. <laughs> like um, line arrays really cut down on a lot of truck space. And for audio engineers, there was a transition stage where you had a headliner desk, you had an op- or a direct support desk, then you had the opener kids table. Like you, you had three consoles on your truck, you know, the size of a uh, PM4K, if not bigger, right. you know, and same with uh, speakers, you know, everything started going to line array, every, all your audio fit on a truck, truck and a half. And then guess who video and lighting took up the rest <laughs> of the truck, you know, cause it was more about the visuals, but yeah, it, it did make it easier. I, I just, I want to switch a day with you. I kind of wish I was still touring so you could go out and mix a, a band that you don't like and I could come <laughs> mix, mix a team I don't like, but I'd still be mixing for a baseball game. That'd be super sure. fun. So I do have a question and, and th- like whenever I go, like hey, for example, <laughs> no, sorry. <All> right. <laughs> so my, my, I have a 16 year old son. Um, and you know, he is, uh, following in my footsteps, uh, not in terms of, uh, of audio and video, because I made it a goal when he was born that I swore to him that he would never follow in my steps, footsteps for a career that he would actually go to school and get a real job and have a real career and not what I've chosen to do. Um, and I, you know, luckily I have, uh, he's realized that, um, but so I, I'm, I'm always amazed because in, in the old days when I was doing the old bands and working in bars and stuff like that, you really relied on your ears. And so I was at a show, um, there's a, there's a little small venue here in, in Niagara where I live. It's called, um, the warehouse and it holds about five, 600 people. And, I saw a guy, I was there, I was early enough because it was a band, I'm friends with the guys in the band and so I came out and they were doing their sound check and and the guy was walking around with an iPad and he was basically monitoring from different spots with his iPad and I said, can I ask you what you're doing? He goes, oh, I'm just checking, you know, things like delay and and stuff and I said, I said, is this, he goes, yeah, no, I just bring it over here and it tunes it so like does do, do do like when you're teaching new people and stuff? Do you actually still teach people how to read gear, or does 
this like iPads just do it now. Like, cause I'm, I'm, it's awesome. It's fascinating, but I don't know, you know, it's such a different world. No, the, the iPad doesn't do anything for you. <laughs> Zero. Okay. You, you, you no, it, it, it's just an extension so you can walk away from the desk and hear it in different places. There, there's nothing okay. about the iPad that does it for you. That's for sure. Okay. I, unless I, I'm missing something, and please somebody let me know if there's somebody. Some iPad well, I mean, there are. The, uh, sorry. Go ahead. There, there are you know various uh, devices out there that will claim. Well, if you put a microphone up, you know it'll it'll auto EQ your PA or, or stuff oh, like that. But okay. you know. Um, it's it's it works about as well as you think it might you know as pat brown would say he said i always like to see what these systems do when someone's standing in front of the microphone and i have not yet found one smart enough to do nothing i Um, i used to have i i used to have people in my class ask me if they could have like oh man you guys should get like a big mic preset for drums and i was like what like you know what I mean? Because that's what you're talking about is like loading a preset for a thing yeah. that is in a different place with a different thing with a different whatever. And and I know people are working on AI and artificial intelligence when it comes to sensing microphones, sensing what they're doing, blah blah blah. But yeah, man, the when you're teaching someone, especially a 16 year old, it's best to start at the basics. You know, we, we cover that a lot in our podcasts. It's like, Hey, let's go back to basics, the console, the gain structure, the microphone. Um, and, and yeah, I do the same thing. I see my daughter loving to play piano and hitting the drums and singing. And I'm like, Oh no, what did I, whatever, what have I done? (laughs) Oh, I I know. And and it, yeah, it frightens me. If I can chime in real quick for like in regards to using iPads, um, I hate using iPads for front of house. They do nothing for me because um, I like to keep my eyes on the stage and keep my head up. Um, whereas if I'm just on a touchscreen, I can't feel the faders. I can't feel my buttons. So I, I don't have a sense of touch. But where the iPad does come in very handy for me is for ringing out my wedges. Um, so I don't have to run back and forth between front of house and and monitors, which I, I have done quite a bit. I just, I find it a lot faster and easier. And then additionally, I can take the iPad up with me with the console app. If uh, like during a rehearsal or a sound check and like someone is trying to communicate with me about their monitor mix, then like I can hear what they're hearing and make a change very quickly and have that conversation in real time and not have to run back and forth and, and like maybe I guess at what they're hearing. Um, so then I can just hear directly what they're hearing and make those changes right next to them. Um, but aside from that, like making sure that, um, that, you know, actually what you're doing is extremely important and having that analog reference is paramount. So do, do, do you guys like do bands, do tours now still tour monitor guys or is it, or are you doing everything from front of house now? It depends on the budget. Um, yeah, for me, I, I'm, I'm still starting out. So I, I'm doing monitors from front of house all the time. Okay. Ears and wedges. Right. Yeah. Generally, the first the first person a band will hire when they go on the road is a front of house engineer, and then you know number two is is the monitors. Um. So there's that kind of no man's land, and a lot of clubs and one off stuff. You know, you just you've you've got to do them from front of house, and it's there's obviously some compromises involved in that, but that's when you know being able to get out from behind the console with with a computer or a mobile device or something like that, where, you know, even something like, Oh, this mix position in this venue is in a crappy position. And I want to go hear what it sounds like in other parts of the room. Um, right. you know, and when I go up, when I walk over 20 feet, I go, Oh, well, the vocals are totally buried. Um, you know, to be able to bump it without having to run back to the desk. I mean, that's sort of to me where the value lies. Um, but I don't ever want to be in a situation where I don't have my hands on faders, you know, I think. Right. I, I need that. Yeah. I need that. One of my clubs has that. It's terrible. I don't yeah. think I could. I don't think I could deal with an iPad to to mix. I'm so used no. to that tactile feel of, you know, because I can I can be using all eight fingers, if you will, and sometimes the two thumbs to mix, especially on curling, um, you know, because I'm mixing eight microphones at once in real time. Um, but it, it's funny because I, I I mean is asking about that just because you know when I'm when I'm doing lectures at the local college where I do some workshops and stuff at, they always, they always, I I always say to them, I said, well, how's your audio? And they say, well, it looks good. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, okay, awesome. But how does it sound? They said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, sure. It might look good, but what are your ears telling you? Are they, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's, it's amazing how many don't, 
trust their, like, you know, all the meters, I mean, you know, if I was to lose my monitors for whatever reason at this stage, I could, I could live off of the meters and see it, but I'd rather lose the meters than lose my speakers because that's the, you know, that's going to tell me if it's there or not. You, you brought up a good point. And, and I noticed this in a lot of schools that I visit in training sessions and in churches is the, the listening part is never really addressed very well, unless the teacher or the person doing the class has some kind of music background when it comes to that. So it's like, they don't do ear training anymore. Um, the one, of the, remember, one of the, one of the first golden I, ears. Oh yeah. One one of the very first things that I do with some of my people that are wanting to learn how to do this is frequency recognition, you know, cause feed, feedback control, obviously. Um, what was that? Oh, that was one K no higher. Like, and basically go through it like a piano and, and do that. But like, like you mentioned, they, they rely on their eyes instead of their ears. And there's this really cool effect. It's called the McGurk effect. And you can look it up on uh, YouTube, actually. There's okay. a BBC article. So what you get from looking at an EQ tr- curve changing on a screen isn't exactly what your ears are hearing. Um, it'll actually fool your ears. It's like a it's like a, an illusion almost for your hearing. Once you close your eyes, you can hear what the EQ is really doing when you look away from what you're actually physically looking at. So yeah. And, and I, I see, and it blows my mind that more teachers don't talk about this because obviously in the digital age and with churches doing broadcast audio, which is more similar to what you're doing, um, you, you can't use those visual references all the time. Um, it, it's I, I, and I never use, um, any of the on-screen displays for EQ or, or compression any at all. I just listen to how it's sounding. Does it sound like my biggest, my biggest complaint in other guys mixes and, you know, I like to say audio is the voodoo science in television because everybody's ears are different. No one really knows what to listen for. As long as I'm hitting neg 24 LKFS, everybody seems to be pretty happy. Um, and with digital consoles and with digital broadcasting, we have so much more headroom. Uh, you know, I, I am the first one to admit that I'm guilty that I like to push um, the effects. I want my announcers to have to talk over, especially in hockey. Baseball is different because you have such dynamic range and curling is different because you have people talking. It's the only sport where the players are actually mic'd and are talking. It's still different. Basketball, you just have to deal with the PA, which is as anyone who's ever seen any of the stuff I've ever done online or media, stuff like that, they are the bane of every mixer's existence. Um, you know, we fight them constantly because it's, it's just, it's relentless. The PAs are getting so much louder and it's relentless, especially on basketball where it's playing during the play and so forth, um, that you can't get it. And, and I just want, you know, I had this great, when the Winnipeg Jets first came to the NHL and I was doing their home show when it first started and they would literally blow the whistle and the PA would come in at 130 decibels and I could not bring the ice mics down quick enough and it would just overload my, my mix. And finally, after about a week, I went upstairs and I saw the guy at the front of house. And I just said, listen, when the whistle blows, can you give me just two beats? That's it. Just two beats, two pauses to let me bring everything down. Oh no, they want me to bring it in. I said, listen, I know, I understand you're trying to create excitement and so forth, but I'm just a little bit of professional courtesy. Just give me two beats to bring it down. And then you can go, you know, full tilt boogie. No, I don't want to do that. I said, okay, great. If you're not going to do that, then I'm not providing you guys with any feeds. <laughs> and they said, well, no, you have to. I said, I don't have to give you shit. Yeah. You know, I, it, this is my Own show. I, yeah. Oh, I could just tell you, oh yeah. You know what guys, I couldn't get it to you today. I just, I'm sorry. And he says, well, no, we need all that. I said, I get that. I said, but what I need is just a little bit of professional courtesy give me two beats. So he wouldn't do it. So the next game, I didn't provide a single thing to the house. Wow. And then they came down and said, why don't we have all this? And I said, because I just, I asked for a favor. I just said, just give me two beats. Anyway, next game, I got my two beats. That's all I wanted. Just two beats. One, two. And that gives me, allows me enough time as soon as the whistle blows to bring it down. So when the PA comes in, it's not blowing everybody out who's listening at home. And you know, 
and and that's my that's my biggest pet peeve in broadcast right now is the PA, and it always has been, and it's just. I know it's there. For some reason, some producer thinks that louder means excited, means more excitement. Well, it doesn't. It does just it just means louder. It doesn't mean there's more excitement. Uh, it's my biggest pet peeve. So, Andrew, um, you, you kind of set up uh, part of the question I had. Um, you refer to it in your article as um, you like to hear the candy, right? So you, you like yeah. to hear the effects, and uh, you like to have an aggressive mix, right? I do, yes. So, and and we and we we were just talking about um, uh, training your ear for these things. So, how did you train yourself? A maybe not being the biggest sports fan. Uh, so how did you train yourself to know uh, a either where to capture these sounds and then what sounds to bring out and when to bring out when and how did that evolve over your career like how much of that maybe weren't you doing in the beginning and then and then evolved to where you are now yeah well especially when I was starting out I was I I, I was scared you know I think that was the bur- the biggest thing was confidence um I didn't want to have a director. I didn't want to have a producer start yelling at me because he didn't like what I was doing or how I was mixing it. Um, and so I might have been a little more timid. And then as I got more experience and I started hearing things, what it, what it was I was doing is when I was mixing, I was also watching other shows and I was listening to other shows. And I was listening to uh, my friend Graham, who was the Vancouver Canucks mixer and another mentor of mine, a guy named a legendary audio guy here in Canada called Howard Bagley, um, who for years was the main audio guy at CBC. So he, we did six Stanley cups together. We did great cups. We did the Juno awards. We did all the big award show. Cause CBC back then did it. Things like, um, there was this Canadian songstress for years called Rita McNeil, this lovely lady out of out of Nova Scotia um, and not my type of music, but she was a wonderful woman and she had a weekly variety show. So we did all that. And, you know, he, I listened to his show and what he liked to mix. And then it's just a matter when I started mixing, I, I wanted to create my own sound. What stuff did I want to be able to hear? Like, and it, and it depends on the sport, you know, when you're listening to hockey, what is the main thing in hockey? You're hearing skates, you're hearing sticks, you're hearing net and so forth. So I wanted to increase things like uh, high EQ so that you could hear the skate blades really churning on the ice or um, when the puck hit a post, I wanted to be able to hear that really defining ping, um, the crash and the board. So I would increase a little bit of low end and stuff like that. So I really wanted to punch those and I just followed along. And then you finally, you reach that point where you're like, yeah, you know what? I like that in baseball. It's different. I do a little bit of, of cheating, if you will. Um, I've been called out on it, but you know what? My producer and director likes it. And most people that I talk to like it. Um, I do a little old analog music trick, um, so behind home plate, I use a left and a right parabolic dish with two DPA microphones, um, in the dishes. And they're the ones that pick up all the sound around home plate and going back to the mound. I take, uh, a multi-track output of, of the left and the right. I take those, I pre-fade those into an old, uh, uh, uh Dolby DBX 1066 analog, uh, compressor limiter, uh, or gate. And I take the compression right out of it. I don't use any of the compression. I don't use any limiter. And I just strictly use the gate like if I was doing an old, like a kick drum or a drum mix. And I I tweak it a little bit. And then I take the output of that, put it back into the console. And I ride all three of those faders. So I do a left-right mono. And I do that coming back into stereo fader. And I kind of... Open. I leave the left and the right open at all times, so you're hearing noise around it. And then when the pitch's thrown, I open. I bring up the fader that's got the gate in it, and it just adds a little bit of a pop to that back crack. It gives a little more depth, a little more oomph, um, and just kind of gives it a little more. Uh, it doesn't sound like a, uh, a like a wet sandwich or a wet newspaper is what traditionally sounds like sometimes uh, when you're listening to baseball. Um, so I do that, and I developed that one over. This is this is gonna be my 13th year doing baseball. So you know, over the last 10 years and so forth, I've I've tweaked it and so forth. So it's funny because when um, I got a new truck on baseball last year, they built a new truck and I got it. And on the on the setup day, I show up. 
and there's no 1066 in the rack. And I started to have a mild panic attack because I was freaking out that I was like, okay. Uh, so I said to the, the guys, I said, we need, I need one in. I got to have one in, got to have one in. So they were able to bring one in and I had it set up for the next day for the home opener. Cause I was literally petrified. I thought, oh my God, it's going to sound like shit. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but we got one built and it's all set up. There's the trick right there. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. I'm stealing it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and you know, I'll EQ it. I'll do a little compression and stuff like that. Uh, and you know, when it's I've developed my sound. Um, you know, the great thing about it in Canada, at least, is that there's only about 13, 14 of us that do what I do on a regular basis. Um, and I'm one of the busiest ones. I'm one of the lucky ones because not only do I do hockey, I do curling. Um, I do the basketball uh, fill-in, but I do all the baseball. I do 100 Jays games a year. So I'm one of the busier guys. Um, and so I've had a good amount of uh, ability to create a sound. Um, and I can tell who's mixing who without knowing who was on that night, just by the way wow. they mix. And, um, yeah, and that's, that's cool. And, you know, I, I, I've met a lot of, uh, a lot of the good guys in the U.S. and become friends with a lot of the guys in the mix, uh, who mix sports in the U.S., um, you know, it is a very small fraternity. Uh, we're very passionate about, um, providing good audio. Uh, you know, we do, and we do have a lot of fun. Tickets, maybe, you know, what's funny. <laughs> we I, like, I don't, my wife has been to more professional sports games in the last 25 years than I have been. Hmm. Did she pay? Nope. Nope. She goes, she goes, she like, she worked on, or she go on corporate events. Um, you know, everyone says, well, you should, you you must like to go to games. The last thing I want to do in my day off is go back to a venue. Yeah, man. I do not want to go see a rock show. I do not. I'll go down and say hi to all my friends if they come in town or whatever the case may be. But like, once you guys start soundtrack and get loud, I'm like, all right, uh, nice seeing you. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good show. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, that, that just, it's like, I'm on the road so much, you know, um, that when I come home, I just want to be home. I just want to be here. I just want to be able to do the things that I can't do when I'm not here. And, you know, like I said, my son was six is 16. This is a lifestyle he's been used to since he's been born. Um, Luckily, my wife, this wasn't a, uh, a lifestyle I sprung on her. Um, you know, we've been together almost 30 years. Um, you know, we went to school together. We met at school, um, but she was smart and got the hell out when she could. Um, but she understood what it is I was going to do and where I wanted to get to. Um, so I'm always thankful for her uh, that she's allowed me to do this. Um, you know, I'm on the road about 150 days to 180 days a year, depending on, um, on the year. Uh, and, and I'm gone 10, 12, 13 hours, depending on the show. So, you know, I, I, I can't thank her enough. It's amazing, man. I, I, so I, I know we're against the clock here, but I, I got at least one more, one more technical question. Cause, yep. uh, there's just, there's just too many. This is your <laughs> chance, man. Get it out there. <laughs> What um what about uh stereo or spatial stuff other than the five one stuff what it, what is happening on a daily a daily mix yeah so when five one came out it was a big push to do everything in five one let's all do it in five one this this crazy thing in five one but what people didn't realize is that no one at home was listening in five one everyone was still listening on their little four watt speakers that are coming out of their television. And the ones that were listening in 5.1 were in systems that weren't calibrated for 5.1 properly and they couldn't hear it anyway. And I used my dad as a perfect example. I would call my dad and say, well, how'd it sound today? He said, well, I could hear Buck and Tabby. So that's all that really mattered. And, and really that's all it is. All in sports, people just want to hear the announcers. So, you know, um, in, in basketball, a guy named John Hunter, who does the Raptors home show, he started mixing shows last year in Atmos. And so I asked him, I said, so what are you putting in those channels? Just from a curiosity standpoint. And he said, well, you know, we're adding more crowd and we're adding more ambience. I said, so you're basically effectively adding more PA to your mix 
<laughs> and he said, well, yeah, I guess so. I said, and, and like, that, and that's what I get it for, for movies and stuff like that, but I don't understand Atmos for sports. Even in 5.1, I don't really understand because traditionally when we're watching sports, we're watching a linear uh, game. We are watching from left to right or right to left. We are going left to right. We are not in a circular. The only sport that in North America that's circular is baseball. And that's the only one that when I when I mixed the Jays in 5.1, I loved it because the perspective that I was creating, you could actually hear balls that if balls were fouled off and you saw it go out behind you, you could hear it in a rear speaker. You could hear that ball clanging around if it happened to be near a speaker or a microphone. When you're doing it in hockey, you know, I got into this argument with uh, one of the guys who do Fox when Fox came out and he was like, well, I'm creating my 5-1 mix so that the the viewer is in the center of the ice. I said, but they're not in the center of the ice. They're still the cam- watching the camera's, it. The camera's not in the center of the ice. Exactly. They're still watching it from behind the glass. So you're creating a false sense of spatial relationship based on what you think they should be hearing, but that's not what they're seeing, right? We still see and we still hear, um, no matter what you like to think that you're, that you want to hear, it's, it's, it's very disconcerting when you are watching hockey and you're hearing a puck hit you that you're seeing in front of you, but you're hearing it hit behind. That is, that's not, I don't, I don't want to be involved in that. Like I want to be able to create a mix that is good for the person who they're, when they're watching it at home, they're seeing what's happening there. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with stereo. I love mixing in stereo. Most of the networks now in North America, we mix in stereo in the trucks and then they um, up mix it back at their master control. And it's how, how many, how much, so, but walk through like, what are you actually panning out and what decisions are going into that? Is it pure, just audience is, is spread left far left and right as possible. How much of those uh, effects mics are actually spaced out? What's, what's happening there? Yeah. Sometimes um, like on hockey, um, crowd mics, I go left to right. Um, especially on the two sets of crowds on the far and the revert, uh, far and near, uh, I will go a full 100% left and right pan, uh, on the effects microphones. I will slightly pan the left and the right zones, uh, a little bit, uh, for stereo imaging, if you will, uh, the neutral zones. Again, I will add a little bit of panning. Um, announcers are straight down the pipe. They are, are straight up right in the mix, um, no panning whatsoever. So that's what I try to do. Curling, I keep everything straight up because we go up and down the sheet. We're not left to right. We're north-south. So you, I'm I'm keeping that um, perspective, uh, if you will, of straight up and down. Uh, basketball, same as left and right. Football is left and right. Um, lacrosse, I'm doing a lot of cross this year, left and right. In, um, in in hockey, are all are all the cameras on one side, or are they shooting from two sides? They sometimes do what's called a reverse angle, but they only ever take the reverse angle as a replay because if not, then you're what's called crossing the axis in television, and that completely screws up your viewer uh, in terms of what they're hearing and what they're seeing because all of a sudden you're flipping the image. So yeah, they, I was just thinking that would play your left or right would mess with you obviously oh, if, completely. If, if the camera was going opposite. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and and. When the five point, this is the whole thing. When five point first came out, some guys were using um, uh, what are called GPIs or tally whackers to change. If the camera went to a reverse, they would tally whack uh, faders so that the image would change. Well, I'm like, holy crap! Talk about making somebody all of a sudden seasick because you're now taking a f- uh, a forced perspective and then you're just going and doing a whip around and now all of a sudden it's it that that center point is no longer there because you've switched it and then you're back right it's not like you're going to it and staying it for a minute you've gone there and then you've come back you know and that's a that's a big um it's a big discussion a lot of audio guys have uh about what what should be what should be this and what should be that um you know and and I have my ways and other guys have their ways and you know if I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But uh, you know, I'm still mixing. So, 
Yeah. I'm go. ready to go. Watch, I'm ready to go watch a game now. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, it's going to be a completely different experience watching a game. It is. Now. I got to tell you, after I talked to Andrew last year, you know, when you watch the game and just kind of in the perspective of thinking of somebody behind a console throwing the faders, it's it's really. Uh, and I'm not a huge sports fan either, but I mean, it really uh, it's quite engaging. So, um, Andrew, thank you for for your time and your expertise, man. This has been a lot of fun. It's really cool chatting it's with you. Fire. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. You know, um, like I said, we are the, uh, we are the wicked stepchild. We are the, the voodoo. Um, you know, everyone says we're 90% of the problem and 10% of the picture. And, uh, I take that with a badge of honor. Um, and, <laughs> and if anybody wants to come hang out in the audio room, I always say it's like the kitchen at a party. It's where all the cool people hang out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I'm a baseball fan and a hockey fan being from St. Louis. I can't be a football fan. So um, th- this was super interested to me too, man. Uh, thanks for being on the show for yeah, sure. I appreciate it. And if you ever get to Toronto and you want to come, uh, come sit in the truck with me for a day, just uh, hit me up. Awesome. Thanks, man. That was so cool. Sports. Appreciate it.